you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 5 tonight. Uh, missed you guys being with you on Sunday. Missed being with you guys on Wednesday. But good to be back. Genesis chapter 5 is where we're going to be. You guys good? All right, we're looking at a message entitled, The First Family Tree. Hey, is anyone going to the baptism this Sunday? Or Saturday, sorry? No, anyone going to the baptism? <laughs> Lincoln? Okay. All right. That's cool. Sweet. Well, I will see Lincoln there then. <laughs> well, tonight... Shh. Put the candy away, bro. Thank you. Popcorn. Away. If you roll your eyes, we can also throw it away if you like. Yeah? Okay. All right. We'll, we'll get it thrown away then. The first family tree is where we're going to be. So tonight, we're actually going to be uh, studying the first recorded genealogy of someone's family, uh, which sounds like, what do you mean? We're studying a genealogy. Yes, we are studying a genealogy. Now, genealogy is essentially someone's family history. Is anyone related to like someone famous in the past? Me. Anyone? Yeah. Your second cousin is an Olympic winner. That's pretty cool. All right, very cool. Yes, Annalise. Um, my very, 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 very great grandpa went to Russia hated President of Mexico. Wow. All right, hated President of Mexico. I, I'm related to General George Pickett, uh, who is of the Pickett's Charge. He was a Confederate, which was not good, but he lost. So he, he's famously known for Pickett's Charge. That's not so good, but at least he lost, right? That's good. Uh, yeah, Grayson? Shh. Sorry, Oliver? One of my great-great-great-grandfathers was in the Civil War. Okay, was in the Civil War. All right, then maybe, maybe our grandfathers knew each other. Um, listen, you know, today we have technology. Listen, shh. Today we have technology that you can, like, get Ancestry.com. You guys know about that? Anyone ever done that? Yeah, so, so that can tell you, like, where you're from. Listen, shh, you guys got to bring it in tonight, okay? Shh, bring it in. So Ancestry.com can tell you where you're from, but it can't tell you who directly you're related to. That's got to be passed down. Now, in the Bible, have you guys ever come to a portion in the Bible of genealogies where it's name after name after name after name? You guys ever read that portion of the Bible? Typically, the temptation is to zoom past it, right? It's typically like, okay, there's a bunch of names. Let me move on to the good stuff. And I got to be honest with you guys tonight. Uh, this was even a temptation for me regarding the passage where we're at in our study in Genesis. Uh, you know, next up, so starting next week and the following weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah, which is super exciting. And so there was a temptation even today as I began to study that said, well, let's just skip chapter five and move on to chapter six and get to the good stuff. But then a scripture came into mind and it's 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is profitable or beneficial. There is not one word in the Bible that does not have power to change our lives. And so you and I, as students of the Bible, our job is when we come to something like this, it's to not skip past it, but to dig deep and dig into what God has for us. And so uh, what we find here in the fifth chapter of Genesis is a lot of names. However, they are in there for a purpose. There was no chapter that God just put in there as a filler. You guys ever written an essay before and you're just trying to fill in nonsense? Okay, that's not what God's doing here. He's not like, well, I really need a fifth chapter, so let me just put a bunch of names. No, there's a purpose and you and I as students of the Bible are to find it. You guys have your Bibles open? I want to point your attention to, we're going to pray and read through the passage in a moment, but look at the very first line of chapter five. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Okay, you guys see that word genealogy? In Hebrew, it's the word toldot, okay, or toldat. Everyone say toldat. Okay, you guys are all speaking Hebrew today, okay? Uh, it is a word that translates into history or into this word generations. We saw this word first come up in Genesis 2-4. This was the first kind of marker that's in the scripture, and it says this is the history. That's the word toldat. Okay, or generations. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. 
Same word is in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And over and over again throughout the book of Genesis, it's broken up into these toldots or generations. The next one we're going to see is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We'll come to this next week. This is the genealogy of Noah. And then as history progresses in the book of Genesis, these are these markers of transitions. Uh, many Bible scholars believe that these actually indicate authorship of these sections. So we've already talked about that Moses is the author of Genesis. He is the one who put it all together. However, he was not born during this time. And so many people believe that Adam was an initial author who wrote down his genealogy, his family tree in this book. He wrote down about what happened in the garden uh, and, and all that, and then put it together in these couple chapters. And then eventually that made its way down to Moses. Some people believe then at some point Noah picked up in the story and would actually write down some of these things. And, and those books or scrolls were then handed down for Moses to be the ultimate compiler and completer of the book of Genesis. But I want, what I want you to note down is there's a similarity that we see here, okay? This is the book of the genealogy. That, and, and of course, this, this one in chapter five is of Adam. But the Bible says that there is a second Adam, and that second Adam is Jesus Christ. And the other portion, there's a, there's a New Testament parallel. This, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, is the very first verse in the New Testament. And it builds off of the genealogy of, of what we find in Genesis chapter 5. Yet this time, it's specifically talking about uh, being related to the son of David and the son of Abraham, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so listen, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Even this genealogy that we're about to read, the Bible says of, its, of itself that the volume of the book is written about him, about Jesus, okay? So we're gonna go through this today. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna do something a little bit different. I actually want you on your own, in your own conscience, your own head and heart, I want you to read through this passage before I begin to break some things down for you. Our normal custom is, remember, we stand, I read it, you follow along, and then we get into it. We're going to change things up a little bit, get a little fun, and I want you on your own to read through it. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to get one. Uh, if you don't have one, you can raise your hand and the leader can come around and get you one. But we want you guys to read this, not just sharing with a neighbor, but on your own, reading through this fifth chapter of Genesis, okay? So how it's going to work is you're just going to read through it. There's going to be names, and maybe you have had a tendency in the past, like myself, to skip past them. I want you to read every word in this chapter. Hey, you don't have to like, you know, meditate on like, okay, this this. No, no, we want you to like read through, okay? This is the genealogy. Just read through it as if you're reading something um, else, okay? But it is the word of God, so we want you to pay attention. And I, and I want to do this because I, I want you to see some of these things and just mentally or physically note down some things that stand out. Again, there's going to be a lot of names, starting with Adam and going down to Noah but I want you to, there's going to be a, maybe a few sections, a couple verses that stand out. And after we pray, after you read, I might ask you for some things that stood out to you. Okay? So I'm going to pray. And then it should be quiet in here for about five minutes. And then you guys are just going to read through what you have in Genesis chapter five. Clear? All right. Father, we come before you and we pray that as we approach your word, we are trusting that all scripture is beneficial. And so as we go to Genesis chapter five, and we read through this, we pray that you would point out what you want us to see. Lord, that we would see your greatness, your glory, and who you are by the end of today. We love you and give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter five, read it.
another minute. Okay, one more minute. So if you're still in verse one, you might want to read it a little bit faster. If you've already, if you're already done, take this an extra minute to look at those couple verses that stood out to you amongst the rest. Also note down anything that's repeated over and over again. All right. What kind of things stood out to you? Lincoln, and just quick, quick answers, okay? I thought it was interesting how it said Enoch walked faithfully with God, but it didn't say that for anyone else. Yep, Enoch was kind of had this highlight reel, right? Yep. What was it? Begot kept on being repeated, okay? Begot is like, that's it, its idea of like born from, okay? So, right, Adam, and then he begot or Seth was born from Adam. Joe. Methuselah was the longest living dude, 969 years, yep, ever recorded in history. Yep. Yeah, they lived for crazy long time, right? Yeah, and okay, Noah and his three sons were mentioned. So Noah was the only one that had not just one son mentioned, but three, uh, for sure, three. Yeah, Adam, Adam had more than three kids. So it wasn't just Cain, Abel, and Seth, but actually had other sons and daughters, which also explains uh, how Cain had a wife. But that's a topic for another day. Josh. Right. Yeah, Enoch never died. That's a trip. Um, yeah, all kinds of things, right? So when you take a moment and you start to read through what can seem like a boring genealogy, there's actually some rather interesting things. And what we're first going to look at today is going to be pretty mind-blowing, but it's only going to be mind-blowing if you give me your attention for the next little while, okay? If you doze off at all, you are going to be so lost. If you can keep up today, though, um, you are going to be very excited about the Bible as I'm excited to share with you. And so we're first going to look at Genesis 5 from a bird's eye view, meaning an overview type of thing. At, at the end of our study, we'll look at one specific person, and that person will be Enoch. But for now, let's look at the chapter in its entirety. One of the reasons this chapter is so vital to the rest of the Bible and how we understand history accurately is because this chapter helps us to nail down the approximate age of the earth using some basic math. We can know from this chapter the exact year of the flood. I can tell you today with certainty, some level of certainty, what year the flood took place. How do I do that? Well, we're told that Adam lived for 930 years. That's a long time. Okay, so walk through this with me. Adam is the first person. He lives 930 years. So he was created on day six. So the 930th year of the creation of the world, Adam dies. He died when this guy named Lamech was 56 years old when Adam died. Now, why is that significant? Well, this is significant because Lamech was the ninth generation from Adam, meaning that Lamech, everyone say Lamech, it's just kind of fun to say, is Adam's great, 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 great grandson, Lamech, okay? So Lamech is related to Adam. That's kind of what we saw this progression of things, right? So he is ninth generation, ninth removed. But isn't it crazy? Adam 
almost lived for a thousand years, which means, think about it, he knew his ninth grandson of the greats. He knew his great, 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 great. When he was 56, that is when Adam died. Now, who cares about this guy, Lamech? What's, what's the deal? Well, it's significant when we find out who Lamech's son is, which is who? Noah. Noah. Okay. So Noah, Noah was born year 1056. Okay. You're going to have to go fast with me, but it's going to be good. Adam dies year 930. Noah, just 126 years later, I think that's the right math, uh, Noah is born, which means, yes, which means Noah was born 126 years after Adam died. Now, I don't know what you had in your mind, but before studying today, I did not really realize how close Adam and Noah were together, okay? Noah was born only 14 years after the death of Seth. That's who we talked about last week. Remember, he was the one that uh, God gave Adam and Eve to continue on the line. Seth died in year 1042 from creation, and Noah was born just 14 years later. Now, I want to bring this to your attention because it is remarkable to think that Noah, who we know, Noah's Ark, he could have known, would have known, and spoken with Adam's grandsons, Enosh and, and other people. And since Adam and Eve had sons and daughters after Cain and Abel and Seth, it's possible and even likely that Noah spoke with those unnamed sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Because these people lived for so long, it's much different than now. You, you, we barely meet our great-grandfathers if we ever do, depending on when your parents had you. All the people, I want you to just note this down. All the people mentioned in this chapter of these generations were alive at one point besides Noah. So go basically a hundred years before Noah was born. All of these people were alive at the very same time. Now, some were much older Adam was like 900 years old. But these other patriarchs, these people, these generations all lived on earth at the same time, which means, I want you to think about this. For a, about 56 years of Lamex, Noah's father, of his life, he could have talked with Adam. More than likely, he would have sat at Adam's feet while Adam rehearsed for him the whole experience of the garden. He would have heard it not from like his great-grandfather. He would have heard it directly from Adam himself. And then Lamech would have told his son Noah, okay, who then, who do you think Noah would share this, this, this story from, this account? His, his kids, Shem, Okay, who is the one who then would, would carry on uh, that line of the Messiah. So Shem, someone mentioned how the three sons at the end, look at the end of the chapter, Noah's three sons are mentioned. Shem is mentioned first because more than likely he was that firstborn who would then uh, carry on that line. And get this, okay, this is hard for me to explain, but that guy Shem, Noah's son, would have been alive at the same time as Abraham. So sometimes we think that Adam and Abraham are so far, and in years, yes, they are about 2,000 years removed, but they are only a couple people removed. And so these stories of the Bible that are handed down, it didn't go from person to person to person to person to person to person. There was this pretty good line of handed down. This will blow your mind as well. During this era, the world would have been very quickly populated. Think about it. If someone lives for 930 years, they're not just having one or two kids. We know Adam and Eve had three kids. And then all it says, all we know is he had then other sons and daughters. One writer has estimated that if Adam during his lifetime saw only half of his children that he fathered grow up, and if only half of those children got married, and if only half of those who got married had children, then even at these conservative rates, 
Adam would have seen more than a million of his own descendants. You think your great-grandfather has a lot of grandchildren? It ain't nothing. He would have been able to meet a million of his descendants. Using these same calculations, we could say that by the time that the flood happens, there could have been 7 billion people on earth. Does anyone know how many people are on earth today? About 7.8, okay? About 7.8. Now listen, sometimes when we think about the story of Genesis and the flood, we think like, oh, it's just kind of like the Middle East. There was like a few thousand people. Seven, potentially seven billion people populated the earth and only eight of them made it through the flood. The flood date, from these calculations, you're like, well, how do we know the flood date? Well, if you take, we know that Noah from this chapter was born 1,056 years into the creation. We know from Genesis 7 that the flood happened when Noah was 600 years old. So if we use some rather basic math and we take when Noah was born, and when the flood happened, we get year 1,656. Now, you'll notice two dates on there. They are the same dates put in a different way. You and I commonly know as 2,348 BC, that's a familiar, more familiar date. BC is the idea of, right, before Christ. Now, what 1,656 AH refers to is, is this. It refers to uh, Anno Hominis, I think is how you say it. It means the year of man. It's another way to calculate time. It's basically from the time that God created the world presently. So what we could actually begin to calculate, we use that, that middle marker of, of Christ's coming. Right? That's why we say BC or AD. Uh, which doesn't mean after death. It means uh, the year of our Lord. Um, now, a lot of atheists then try to use other things like BCE, but don't, don't listen to that stuff, okay? Jesus has a worldwide historic impact. But this is a date that based upon some simple math calculations, that's when we think the flood. Now, why is this important? Because what you are being potentially taught in school or have heard on videos or whatever it might be, that our world is 45.5 billion years old and that number always changes. Based upon what the Bible says, our earth, if you take this calculation, the Bible has other genealogies, other ways to calculate, well, then how far was it from the flood to when Jesus came? We know that calculation. Well, how far was it from when Jesus came till now? Well, we know that, right? Approximately 2,022 years. So you take these calculations, our earth is around 6,000 years old. That's not just some random speculation that some guy came up with. You just take the Bible and you can come to that same conclusion. Pretty legit. Am I right? Okay. I don't know if I'm the only one excited about this, but that's pretty cool that we could literally know the year of the flood. And that helps us understand the world we live in much better. Because now when we come with that understanding of how old our world is, uh, we can begin to see things more clearly. Okay, does that make sense? Anyone wildly lost and need me, me to explain this after service? Okay, good. So there was two phrases that were repeated multiple, multiple times within this chapter. So we're not only able to understand the history of the earth, but there's some, there's some phrases repeated, and I don't think it's unintentional. So all the days. This was one of the phrases that's repeated throughout this chapter. So all the days of this person or that person. Anyone want to count how many times this phrase is repeated? Anyone want to? Okay, try. I'll, I'll wait. Nine. But how did you know that? That, I'm very impressed, Eric. Good job. Everyone get a round of applause for Eric. That is awesome. Okay, listen, nine times. Now, what does this tell us? So all the days. Everyone's days are numbered. I think that this phrase is repeated 
that you and I would understand that it wasn't just these guys who lived 900 years. That's a lot of days, but their days were still limited. And you and I might live 75, 80 years, if by some strength further than that. But our days are numbered as well. Before the curse, men would have been able to live every day without limit. When Adam was created, there was not a limit to the amount of days that he could have. Now, God ultimately knew in his plan, but in theory, if he never sinned, never disobeyed God, he would still be able, he'd live a whole lot longer than 930 years. And so because of sin, now death has passed down from generation to generation. Job echoes this truth in Job 14.5. You can note it down. That says this, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you being God. You being God have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Every one of these men, Adam to Noah, they had a certain number of days. And it wasn't, listen, it wasn't one day too long and it wasn't one day too short. And in a similar way, every one of you, including myself in this room, have a number of days. Now we don't know that number, but God, but according to Job, our days are determined. They are already laid out for us. And even with as many days as these men were blessed to live, it would come to an end. It makes me think of what Moses says in his one and only Psalm, Psalm 90 verse 12, when he says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain of heart of wisdom. One of the simple applications I think we can pull from this chapter is the fact that so we have a certain number of days. Because when you know that you have a limited amount of days, you live every day differently. If you have unlimited of something, you aren't as careful as to how you use it. Now, though we don't know that number, which should make us then live one every single day we live that much more carefully. The second phrase that's repeated over and over again is this one, and he died. Anyone want to count how many times and he died is mentioned? Josiah, did you have one? No? No? Anyone have it already? Eric? It's eight. Right? Because think about Enoch. He never died. So that's not going to be talked about him. So eight times we have this phrase repeated, and he died. Death was handed down from Adam and Eve to Seth. Notice in the very first part of chapter five, the author, Moses, maybe Adam as well, made this conscious effort to say something and it's repeated. It says, and he made him in the likeness of God, okay? But then notice, it says, then he and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his, being not God's image, but after Adam's image and named him Seth. Death that was received by Adam was passed down to Seth. And then Seth passed down death to his son and to his son and to his son and to now where we are at today. Death has been passed down over and over again. And so I believe this chapter should cause us to then look at our own mortality and realize that death is a sure thing other than one occasion, and that's Enoch, which for us would be equivalent to what I believe would be the rapture. That's the only way we're not dying. But then, even then, our, all of our days are numbered. And so it's almost like Genesis 5 is this mirror that you look into it and you see these other men, but then it really is that mirror that makes you look back at yourself and realize that death is a guarantee and that our days are numbered. Now, for us as Christians, that should not be daunting or scary because what happens when we die? We trust the promises of Jesus that he said, though a man or woman may die, believing in me, yet they shall live. And so for us, death doesn't have to be this, this scary thing, this fearful thing. We can be like Paul that says to live is Christ, but to die is, anyone know? Gain. Now, we're going to notice that after the flood, God seems to shorten lifespans. It seems to be this like 
this marker that after the flood, people begin to live less and less and less and less, right? No one's living 900 years. I don't care what kind of workout you're doing, okay? It's not happening. Why, why is that? Why, why did these people live so long and we don't? Well, I think there could be a variety of reasons. You could talk about DNA. You could talk about environment. You could talk about different things. But honestly, I believe one of them is God realized how bad things get when men live that long, right? He had to literally kill everyone except eight people. That's how bad it got. And so I would think that God's like, that's too long. Let's, let's reduce that down. Now, we, we don't know, uh, but it seems to be that to be the, the difference, okay? So out of all these men who lived for hundreds of years and eventually died, there was one man who lived for 365 years but never died. And so let's zero in on Mr. Enoch. Enoch, and we're gonna find him in verses 18 and 24, through 24. And uh, he's definitely the most significant character that kind of pops out. Of course, Adam's a big deal. It ends with Noah because it's about to go into the, the story of the flood. Um, but we have this, what can almost seem like an unnecessary detail, but we know that it is altogether necessary for you and I. And so let's read together verses 18 through 24. Well, rather, I'll read it to you. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared, I love how Jared just like placed in there. It sounds like such a normal name. Anyway, uh, Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So we know that Enoch is the seventh from Adam. Okay, he's the seventh in line. We don't know much about him, but what we do know about him is significant. It seems from this text that for the first 65 years of his life, he didn't walk with God. Then he had this son, Methuselah, which seemed to change his life in some kind of way. And and after that, we're told that he walked with God for 300 years. Now this term, walk with God, It's a familiar term for us as New Testament Christians, right? In a metaphorical way, it shows a close relationship. The idea here is that Enoch, and it's the only detail that's given about one of these guys, he had this type of close relationship with God. It's the same word that was used how God would walk with Adam and Eve in the coolness of the garden. Genesis 3.8, we've read it together many times by now. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This seemed to be something that was repeated in the lives of Adam and Eve. Now this time, uh, this, this relationship didn't turn out so good. Amos 3.3, though, poses this rhetorical question, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Amos 3.3. And it's a rhetorical question of absolutely not. Two cannot walk together unless they are agreed. And so this shows that there's this type of common ground between Enoch and God. They, They, in fact, walk so closely that God decided to take him up to be with him in heaven rather than dying. God's motivation isn't clear, clearly explained, but we are told that God allowed Enoch to never taste the sting of death. Even to this day, Enoch has not physically died. Now, the only other example of this in scripture is a prophet in the Old Testament. Does anyone else know anyone in the Bible who never died? Yeah. Elijah, right? Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, says this about Elijah the prophet. Then it happened as they continued on. Oh, I'd love to see this continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. I have no idea what that looked like, but I would love to see it. I hope we can like in heaven have like replays of like, what did that look like? Um, That's my hope, but we'll see. And so Elijah and Enoch are the only two people recorded in scripture who, who never died. Right? Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, he died twice. Bummer for him. Uh, but 
uh, even Jesus our Lord, of course, died. Now, with these two, something just kind of interesting to note, maybe it's not interesting to you, but Enoch is translated or raptured into heaven about halfway in between Adam and Abraham, okay? So from the time that Adam was born to the time that Abraham was born, Enoch then never dies. Then you have Abraham all the way to Jesus. In the middle of that time frame, Elijah also is raptured, never dies. So you, you have these two people in the Old Testament that never experienced death. This is why some people believe that in the book of Revelation, it talks about two witnesses that appear on the scene. Many people believe that that could possibly be Enoch and Elijah because they come, they die, they're resurrected. And some people point to the fact that every man has to die and then comes a judgment. And so some people believe that Enoch and Elijah will taste the sting of death at one point, but then be resurrected and um, it'll be awesome. Um, But that's just a theory we don't know for sure. But look how interesting this is. Verse 24 is really weirdly translated into English. It doesn't translate too well. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Is that just me? I mean, it's it's put very funny. Those three words that we have seen for every other person are not there. It doesn't say, and he died. It says, and God took him. Or really, it says, and he was not. Those four words, and he was not, is actually one word in Hebrew that means he disappeared. It wasn't as gradual like Enoch was being written. No, he, it was instantaneous. He was there, and then he was not, because God took him. I really got to wonder if this is an allusion to the rapture because we know for a fact that there's a day coming where those who walk with God will one day be and then one day be not because God will take them. And so the majority of people, they're going to die and then they get to see their savior. But there's going to be a percentage of people, I pray it's you and I because I don't want to die, that get raptured. That would be pretty legit. Now, I, I think there's that, that reference. We, we can't know for sure, but it certainly seems to fit. Now, outside of Genesis chapter five, there are two other references in scripture about Enoch. He's a very mysterious man. We're not given much about him, but we are told in the book of Jude that he actually refers to Enoch as a prophet. This is a passage of scripture that really uh, kind of twists the minds of a lot of Bible scholars Um, and even has twisted mine at times. But Jude chapter one, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. So we are thousands of years removed, but he quotes him as if he prophesied. So Enoch, we know, was used on behalf of God to prophesy about the coming judgment. Now it's kind of interesting because Enoch would have lived in a very evil time, not too much later, the flood would have happened, um, Enoch, not in his lifetime, of course, because he was, of course, raptured uh, and, and translated into heaven. But notice what Jude quotes. It says, now Enoch, the seventh of, from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them all of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Ungodly, ungodly. There's no doubt the world that Enoch lived in was what? Ungodly. Um, so much so that he prophesied not about the flood, but rather about the second coming of Jesus that is yet to come. This prophecy of Enoch has yet to be fulfilled. Now, the thing that trips people up is there is no book of Enoch in our scriptures, but it seems like there was some prophecy that was handed down that God actually says that was legitimate. And he's put that in scripture, not because of a book of Enoch, but because of Jude's quotation. And so we see Enoch being the great grandfather of Noah. He saw the wickedness of man and prophesied that God was going to bring an end to it, okay? So just note that down. The second and last reference that we're going to land on is a very cool reference in the, in the Hall of Faith or Hebrews chapter 11. Have you guys ever heard of the Hall of Faith? 
So the Hall of Faith is, is named after like, you guys know what the Hall of Fame is in different sports, right? There's the Hall of Fame. Uh, if you did really great, then you make it in, things like that. So it's been nicknamed the Hall of Faith because the writer of Hebrews goes through different men and women in the Bible who did a great job or really who live by faith. And they get this shout out in Hebrews chapter 11. Enoch has like only a few verses, but he actually gets a shout out by the author of Hebrews. Notice with me on the screen, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and is quoted and he and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. This was his reputation that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is awesome. It really gives us a little bit more insight into Enoch. What was it about Enoch that made him walk with God? Well, we learn it was by faith. You see, he walked with God differently than Adam ever did. Adam didn't have to have faith that God was, was real or existent. He, he, he experienced him in a very personal way. He had to have faith in the promises and the word of God. But Enoch walked with God similarly to how you and I would. A little bit different, of course, Old Testament, but he, he had this relationship with God and it was by faith. But we see that he had this reputation. Notice the end of verse five. You guys look on the screen. It says that he had this testimony. This was his reputation. This is how people knew Enoch. They said that guy pleases God. And so we, we come here to having three interchangeable ideas. Enoch walked with God. Enoch pleased God, and Enoch had faith in God. Those are actually now all interchangeable terms. He walked with God by his faith. We are to walk by faith. By doing that, he pleased God. He pleased God by walking with him. And do you guys see how they're, they're interchangeable? That they're interconnected in an awesome way. He walked, pleased, and had faith in God the Lord. And then verse six kind of brings this application. Okay. So look at verse five on the screen. That's, that's what happened. That's kind of the shout out from the author of Hebrews. But then verse six gives us some application for you and I today, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible because he who comes to God must do something. He must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He says, it is impossible. Everyone look at me. It is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible means exactly what you think. It's unable to be done. There's some things in life that are impossible. It's impossible to read with your eyes shut. It's impossible to lick your own elbow. Don't even try. It's impossible to enjoy a steak that's well done. Okay, there are some things in life that are simply impossible. And one of the things in life that are impossible is for you to try to please God without believing in God. Notice the word must. You guys see the word must up there? That he who comes to God must believe in two things. You guys see the word and? He must believe that he is and. I mean, there's two things. First, you got to believe that he is. And this seems obvious, but might be... We might not want to be so quick to look past. You see, without faith in a God who hears, our prayers are powerless. Without faith in a God who sees, our works are worthless. To believe in who God has revealed himself to be in Scripture, we don't see God, but we must come to him by faith. But then notice the second part. We also must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him diligently seek him. This is one word in Greek that means to pursue earnestly with effort. Enoch pleased God so much that God saw fit to just take him home. He said, I like you. You're coming with me. We don't know what the motivation was, but it certainly implies that, that he walked with God in in a way that pleased God because he believed, he, he he was all in. 
You see, it's one thing to have a desire. It's another thing to go after it. I want you to ask yourself, do you have a desire to follow God? Don't answer out loud. Do you have a desire? A desire is different than following through on it. And for Enoch, it wasn't just something that he desired. It was something that he followed through on to diligently seek him. Many of us have a desire for God, but are we seeking him? If we have to seek God for it, then we are trusting that he is one who rewards us. Maybe your desire has been for the Lord, but you haven't really been following him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Do we have a casual relationship with God or are we diligently seeking him? Augustine, uh, he was one of the early church fathers says, faith is to believe what we do not see. And the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. You're like, wait, what? Think about it. Enoch, he had faith in God who he could not see. And his reward was to see God in person. That was a reward of his faith. And so this topic is really non-optional in our own walks with God. Enoch is for us this model, this pattern that we might be close with God, that we might seek to please. And Paul would say that my aim is to please the Lord. And so uh, what do we believe? And does our life reflect that? Now, as we come to a close, I just want you to note down in your mind that Enoch walked with God during a very evil time. I mean, literally just very soon after would he flood the entire earth and kill potentially billions of people on behalf of the great wickedness. And we're going to get to that next week. But for Enoch, there was something that, that, that stood out about him. He was able to do this in a very evil time. And you and I live in a, what can be a similar time of great wickedness and evil God's not going to flood the earth again, but he will bring judgment. And this seems, as we look at the world, to come any time. But it is possible, even in this culture, to, to walk with God, pleasing him by faith. All right? Make sense? I want to share with you one last thing. A worship team, you can come out and get ready. Methuselah. Okay? There's one last person I just want to share share about. He is the longest living man ever recorded in history, Methuselah, okay? He, uh, he was the great-grandfather uh, of, of Noah, and he died, if you do the math, he died the same year that the flood started, okay? Now, one of the wild things about this is that Methuselah means when he dies, it shall be sent. You know how Hebrew names have meanings? Methuselah's names means when he dies, it shall be sent, which we believe is a prophecy of the flood. That at the birth of Methuselah, Enoch, who was his dad, had a special awareness from God that judgment would be coming. And so Enoch would name his son Methuselah in light that when he died, which would be the longest nine, about a thousand years later, that judgment would come, that when he dies, it shall be sent. So that was just a little, little free addition for you. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to live like Enoch did. Lord, we look forward to your, your coming. Uh, Lord, in no way have we lived 300 years, but uh, Lord, we're ready to come home. We're ready to see you. But in the meantime, as you've seen fit, Lord, we want to walk close to you. We want to put our faith in you because we know it's impossible to please you without faith. And so God, would you help us in the areas that we lack in trusting you, Lord, and that you would go before us this night as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 